I'm your host, Ken Lane, and this is the show where I bring on stellar guests from across the API universe to discuss, debate, and solve the latest topics around APIs and API first. All right, welcome to another episode of Breaking Changes. My name is Ken Lane. I'm your host today. I'm the Chief Evangelist for Postman. And with me today, I have Chris Treganos from Stripe joining me. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Ken, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for joining me. I have been uh, really eager to get you on the show and learn more about your style and, and how you all run your community over there and, and how you do what you do. So I'm, I'm, I'm really stoked to have you here. Let's though, I, our audience is, is pretty wide. Um, this show is, tends to go out to business users and I'm not gonna assume everyone knows who Stripe is. I mean, I'm hoping they, they have an idea who Stripe is, but let's start with the basics. What is Stripe? For sure, so um, Stripe is first and foremost a technology company and we focus on building economic infrastructure for the internet. So this means businesses of any size, right? So startups all the way to public companies, they're using our technology and our software to build online payments and to run their financial operations in, I think at this point, over a hundred countries around the world. And so that's the, I think that that's the, that's the summary of what Stripe is. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, any, any startup I've ever done, any app that I've built, I mean, once you hit that point where you, you, you need to make some sales, sell some products some services, do anything financial stripes where you go. I mean, you guys are the foundation of what I would say is, is the API economy as far as making it so that we all can make money doing what we do. But would you say that, that, that direct, you know, uh, payments is, is the biggest impact stripes made? I mean, I feel like you guys have also made an impact on just how we think about APIs, or I know mm. you guys make lots of investments. I mean, what is the greatest impact Stripe's made uh, to the to the ecosystem? Would you say? So I'll just speak from my perspective. I, I don't know what the official, you know, <laughs> biggest uh, biggest contribution would be, but I would say, um, from what I see and from my experience, uh, the biggest contribution Stripe's made uh, uh, for in terms of impact is just first and foremost we were focused on the developer experience, and so uh, it's pretty exciting to to work on a product that. I mean, we put so much time into our docs, our web, our web pages, um, just the experience of a developer connecting up into the API. Um, obviously, we can talk about you know vanity numbers and everything, but just how many updates even a day we're we're putting into the API, all the parameters, the functionality for testing. It's um, it's pretty fun to be on the inside and see just how much first and foremost uh, we focus on being a developer experience company. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was getting at because that's what I think of. I mean, y'all are the a shining example that I point to when it's like how to do your docs well, how to do. There's just so much that you guys bake into. I would say the overall uh, developer experience. So, so how do you how do you see product adoption and developer experience working together in this way when it comes to getting people? learning about Stripe onboarding and, and actually putting it to, to, to use in the, in their applications or business. How does developer experience feed into that? I think, um, 
you know, you think a lot about, I remember back in the day living in San Francisco and you'd see that huge, uh, I always got inspired by that Twilio uh, billboard, right? It's the big one off the, off the 101 or 280 that said just like Twilio, ask your developer. Uh, I do think that um, we do best when we are the first recommendation from the payment infrastructure team or the payment architects or the developers that are trying to get a thing done and they know they need to rely on a product that works for them. Uh, it is going to be able to support whatever they need. And I think, I mean, it's pretty wild the different ways you're going to be using Stripe to customize it for your own payment flow. And so, uh, I mean, every single company's revenue model is different. And so it needs to be about as adaptable and um, extendable as possible. And so I think um, uh, how that leads to adoption mostly is recommendations, right? So I think we just hit our uh, 10 years as a company and you would imagine for the majority of that time, it's word of mouth from developer to developer. Um, you think about there's startups, right? There's venture, venture backed startups that very often will build a product. And then, uh, you know, demo day comes like, oh my gosh, we need to have our pricing page. <laughs> like payments is the afterthought because they're focused on maybe hitting certain other numbers. But then the rest of the world, right, is trying to accept revenue, collect revenue and make collect payments on day one. And so, they're going to be looking up what are, what's the top tools to accept payments. And we want to always be on the, whatever developer community is, right? Whether it's enterprise, SMB, startups, we want those actual frameworks that they use in those communities for it to always be like, it's Stripe. Uh, you definitely use Stripe. It's going to just save you headaches. Yeah. the I've built a lot of commerce app apps. I've been building and running teams since the nineties and I, I've worked with a lot of payment providers and you mentioned allowing us developers to do what, what we're doing best and focus on what matters so that we can make money. And one of the things that changed when I started using Stripe is I don't have to think about PCI compliance in the, in this, in like I used to, I used to have to all of a sudden become a security expert and think about how I'm storing credit cards and how yes. I'm doing things. And Stripe's abstracted away the payments industry, but also a lot of these other things. So I can focus on what I'm doing best. And I think that's, that's what fed into me having more time to even spread word of mouth. Like that Stripe matters is because I'm not, I don't, I'm, I don't have a headache of having to store credit cards and, and I can, I can probably go on and on and find a lot of other things that, uh, that, that have fed into that. But do you see that with, with your developer communities? Is there just, they're just able to do more of, of what matters to their business each day because you, you guys have kind of abstracted away a lot of this complexity. I th yes. So I would say um, I'll, I'll speak from the developer's perspective, right? So you and I both are in the developer relations world. Um, first off, Ken, I've been to many of your talks. So it's fun to, it's fun to chat about like developer experience with you. Cause I know, um, yeah, we've two old dogs have <laughs> been thinking about this for a while. Um, so I think, for for payments for Stripe especially you know my impression from the outside uh, I joined about three years ago but my impression was always like all right right it's an API fire some card numbers at the API you know make a request get a response two hundred okay payment succeed and now working here and now just being in the financial world like you realize how much online payments how much more complexity there has become in the last couple there has been in the last couple of years with online payments right and so. Uh, there's payments, but you're referencing like in there's this whole other world of know your customer. So customer onboarding, 
uh, and customer um, payment collection, right? So how often do we sign up for like a marketplace or like, oh yeah, I got to add my um, ACH, uh, you know, bank routing info or add uh, my card info. And it's like how much weight is on the individual uh, entrepreneur or company owner to maintain all that details, right? And so uh, not to mention uh, most developers, especially in the Western world can tend to forget that there's a whole lot more than just cards, right? And so if you're accepting payments somewhere else in the world, like the burden and the regulatory requirements uh, to just run a successful compliant business is intense. And so um, there's this whole other world of like Stripe Connect, right? So uh, we build platform tools for platforms to be successful. Um, definitely some of the biggest platforms in the world, marketplaces of the world are using this tech. Um, collecting customer data and storing it safely is is pretty dang important. Um, I think beyond payments too, um, you think about, uh, you know, so if you want to accept uh, in-person payments, you're, maybe you're a concert, uh, you know, you're running a, a, like a live events company or you're running some store that you are internet first and you want to, you know, have a point of sale system. Another thing that was eye-opening to me is how much burden the uh, a founder has to deal with syncing up uh, in, in-person point of sale systems, um, online orders, um, you know, mail orders, phone orders, and how often like many companies struggle with having a single pr- place of truth for customer records and product details. Um, and then, yeah, I could, I could, sorry, I could go, I could go forever about the complexities of, of uh, doing payments, right. Not to mention optimizing it so that you're actually not leaving any dollars on the, uh, any money on the table. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, there's so many, these are all things you don't learn until you're down in the trenches doing these things and realizing and and you're just tactically kind of piecing it together and that's i would say part of your guys's developer experience that i've noticed is is you guys aren't i wouldn't say abstracting and hiding these things away it's actually part of like you know your rollout of new services and and the overall your docs your sdks and your tools and everything kind of helps helps us think through all of these things and and know that there's actually a strategy to it even though i as the entrepreneur maybe haven't uh, encountered all of these needs and I've seen it in your docs. I can now, I can go find it and, 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 and learn more about it. And when it, when it, when it comes, when it comes up in my, in my daily work. So what, what is the biggest, what would you say when it comes to developer experience is top of mind for you when it comes to helping, helping reduce friction for us, new customers who come across Stripe and, and are trying to get going? So I think um, in terms of one of the top things that, um, let me step back, um, reducing friction and pain points, improving the developer experience. Um, one thing that is top of mind for me and, and our, our team of developer advocates at Stripe is um, developers are, so no question developers are very smart. Developers are masters in many languages, many um, frameworks, understanding how complex systems work. One area of difficulty uh, we we continually running to when a, when a, especially a senior developer starts running with payments starts getting up and running with payments is the semantics and the terminology are between payment infrastructure finance uh, and developers are so similar but they're wildly different and so uh, very often I'll realize like when meeting a developer well <laughs> before COVID uh, so meeting talking to a developer online like in one of our live streams or. Uh, in different conversations is 
when I talk about authentication, right? So I'll, I'll go into like the importance of Cotter authentication or how uh, face ID and biometric info is required to have certain payments in certain countries. A developer can often just jump straight to, oh yeah, auth, yeah, oh auth, I know what that is. And so you also don't want to be a jerk and 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 tell them, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about, but like because the terms are similar, they're uh, they're very uh, they're all needed, but they're um, it's really hard when a developer is told by a, by a founder or they are the founder um, or they work at a large company and they are the payment architect. Okay, get payments up and running. And so they're trying to solve it like an engineer would solve it. But if they don't have an idea of the revenue model, the business use case, um, how this syncs in with taxing, uh, tax revenue recognition, all these terms that are not in the developer world, but they are critical for payments. Um, that can be like a non-starter um, to, you, you know, to actually get payments up and running. Um, so I guess that's uh, addressing a, a, a big, a big thing in the industry that happens often. And no developer wants to admit, like when it's when you get started with payments, like just accept you have no idea what you're talking about, and take some time to like watch some foundational videos, uh, you know, read through the docs, really trying to wrap your head around how the heck does payments work. Um, I think the second one is um, payments are progressive, right? So there are great no code solutions. Um, you know, the if you were if you were a business and someone's trying to get payments running on day one, what's the easiest way to get payments running? Um, probably like a hosted checkout page um, or just invoice, like like sending a sending a hosted invoice, just saying, okay, we're accepting some business, uh, one-time payment, good. And then over time, like the founders, uh, the founder and the tech team are going to figure out like, okay, how should we extend our revenue model? Should we extend, should we support both recurring and one-time payments? Should we also support in-person payments? And so it's kind of like figuring out your payment strategy and reducing friction requires you to have a, 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 a base a baseline and then build on that as your company starts to get more advanced in the strategies of, uh, you know, of, of optimizing your revenue flow. Yeah, and one thing I felt like Stripe's done well over the last decade is making it more accessible to even non, non-developers to be at the table. And be, mm-hmm. so I think as developers, if we can have a domain expert from our company at the table, at having as part of the conversation, we're going to be way better off. Where I think classically business and IT folks don't talk and don't hang out, but I think you know Stripe simplified a lot of things along the way. That, that with the low code options, with the accessibility of your documentations and your overall developer experience, I don't feel like you have to be a developer to land on on Stripe's homepage, make your way around the site and understand what's going on and then and be part of a conversation. You may not get your hands dirty when you dive into the SDKs and other things, but it's definitely makes it more accessible. Are you guys really trying to speak to, to business users as well as developers and all of this, or did it just happen by naturally? So I would say, f- first off, as you know, being in the developer community world, one of the biggest mistakes we could make is say the word developer and think it's some some uh, all-in-one persona right so like the idea there is no such thing as a developer right there's a there's a blend of folks that are involved in the payment stack right so you need buy-in from uh from the decision makers um from the product folks you need uh developers understanding what their part in it what their part uh in the payment stack is and so very often you know we're looking at what are the top requests we're seeing in support 
what's the top you know if you're on any one of our docs pages you can um actually like right there give a thumb up or thumb down on the page and give us a note we we pour through those notes and very often we'll see like the the rise of no code or low code solutions whether it's a stripe solution or some partner that's integrating our api it's it's increasing a lot and so it's not enough to say, okay, we just focus on, uh, you know, our API ref or our deep docs. Like we really have to make sure if you're trying to get uh, your no code uh, app or platform up and running, you're going to pick the best tool possible uh, to start collecting payments on day one. Often it's a partner's app, right? So we have this whole uh, marketplace. We, we strongly recommend partners that make it just dead easy for you to get up and running, but also half the challenge is making sure you're just getting started with the right Stripe tool um, for, for your use case. I would say almost always it's going to be checkout or um, a, a deviation of that. So payment links is super popular right now because it lets you just generate one time or programmatically um, reusable payment links where it's all hosted. You don't got to think about uh, receiving web hooks and running a whole application. You just want to collect payment. And so those are the, I would say that's um, some of the biggest growth is docs and content and especially video resources for um, folks that might not identify as a developer, but they're very much part, very much part of the decision-making process for a company. Yeah, I think the, the whole classic product catalog, cart, checkout, that still exists, but I think it, that world is much has is much more distributed it's a, it's across social it's it's across like you said in person there's a lot and so there's a lot more people who are implementing and setting those in motion not necessarily someone building a commerce app or a mobile app it's it's we can sell something and and ask for a payment in just about any process business process that, that occurs throughout the day so i i can imagine that 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 linking you know is going to be pretty powerful we're seeing that in the postman ecosystem as well as embeddable um it's not about a single portal for developers anymore it's about anywhere you need to initiate some api workflow or some mm -hmm. something that's api driven and giving people embeddable links is is pretty key um another area that we're seeing uh a big shift is is when it comes to open source i mean it's one of the hats i wear here at postman in addition to being the host of this show is is uh i run the postman open technologies program because we see um the the technology is is often more open source and the the way the money's made is 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 a, is a lot different when it comes to API integrations, mm -hmm. and I notice that open source is a big is a part of your your title and 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 what what you do there. How does open source fit into the Stripe paradigm? Yeah, so open yeah definitely open source is it's so critical for everything we do within Stripe, but also how many of our customers are using open source and one they they might not realize it. Or also uh, payment stacks, there's many different areas of the payment stack, whether it's the application layer, the UI, uh, actual collection of the payment, that all, there's lots of open source packages, dependencies, um, and projects. And so one, kind of two different areas, we've, we've open sourced several projects, right? So Sorbet, it's um, for having a strongly typed um, support for Ruby. Like Sorbet was like the big project we launched about a year and a half ago. Um, we have we got several projects in the works that we're, um, we're focusing on open sourcing uh, for next year. Um, so there's definitely like part of our team, we're a small team, uh, open source 
uh, the open source team at Stripe. And so we're focusing on making sure internally there's great candidates for things to open source. I think a lot of our effort actually has been on finding and identifying developers in the community who have been building excellent um, uh, plugins or extensions uh, or any type of libraries that help uh, customers do more with Stripe. And just making sure, uh, you know, first off, we're reviewing a lot of them, we're dogfooding them. What I've been excited about is a lot of our engineers have been making contributions to, to popular Stripe plugins and frameworks. Um, it's a it's a big focus for us, honestly. Um, the other thing we're super proud of is um, we launched a book, uh, Stripe Press. It's like our book. Uh, we have a book publishing arm, and we there was a uh, book by Nadia uh, Ergball. She wrote um, "Working in Public," and it's all about uh, just the open source sponsorship model, um, open source just generally, and a little bit about the history of GitHub. But that's a that that book. Has inspired, uh, definitely inspired us. And there's also a ton of um, new sponsorship players out there. Uh, you know, Tidelift, GitHub sponsors, Open Collective. We've been, oh, you got the book. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. No, I love, I mean, it's actually a pretty beautiful book. Um, but that's been a, that's, we love that there's all these companies and marketplaces launching around helping developers have sustainable open source projects. And that's uh, definitely top of mind for us. Uh, often uh in our world yeah that's a great book the so I, I like the way she tells the story i mean github's a great i think a foundation for a lot of how we think about open source or at least you know the evolution of open source i mean it went from you know linus and linux to like now it's a more social it's a more human thing but i think from what you described it's it's much more community driven now it's much smaller micro it's plugins it's and mm. it's even content and blueprints and tutorials and and we see that with um postman collections is people building interesting workflows between multiple apis and then open sourcing you know that that script or that orchestration that automation around that and so open source is definitely i think going into kind of a third generation i'm i'm, I'm hoping you know as far as it being more community driven and what are what are some ways that you mentioned that uh, some people don't even see open source or know that they're using it? What are ways that you recommend people can better notice and then maybe support those, yeah. those projects? So I think on the onset, one thing that keeps coming up with our team, our developer advocate team is very often uh, developers uh, have inherited uh, a payments. I'll talk about payments and open source, I guess, to start, because I'm obviously biased, care a lot about payments and folks having great integrations. But I think in the payments world, very often a developer um, inherited a payments integration, right? So there's obviously multiple gateways. We're not the only one. We know that. And we also know that a lot of customers need multiple payment solutions depending on the use case. And so uh, Stripe is used, always used within the context of a broader app. And so often you inherit uh, you inherit a payment integration. One thing that keeps popping up often is the head, whoever is the head or responsible at least for the, for the payment integration might not necessarily even be able to whiteboard out how payments are working at their company, right? So they might say, oh yeah, it's a set up through Laravel and something puts in the form field and then it goes to our Stripe account. And so uh, one thing that, comes up often with open sources, do you even know all the different pieces of code and plugins and libraries that are touching 
that are between you and your customer and revenue, right? And so just doing that like inventory, I think is really important. And then the second part to bring it back to these open source maintainers is just the empathy we have for these maintainers who often a maintainer built a, had a, had a problem. Uh, they needed to build uh, a certain library or plugin for a very specific, uh, you know, niche CMS or some type of framework uh, that, you know, that wasn't out there. Uh, they definitely, you know, if you read the working in public book, a lot of these maintainers didn't sign up to do support for thousands of users that stumbled across their GitHub repo. And so one thing that's top of mind for us is how often are the startups, SMBs and enterprise just using some project, uh, not thinking once about the health of that project, who's building it uh, in the long-term viability of using a, a product. And so the thing we've really been focused on is encouraging customers um, and developers like know who, if you are going to use open source projects, know who's building it. Uh, definitely offer to help with code contributions, right? So updating open source projects, especially if it's something that stitches to other APIs, it takes work. And so often these, these developers are looking for support, um, even helping triage and tag issues. That's a big one. And I think for a lot of companies, um, and we could talk more on it, I think the call for if you're using third-party code uh, to collect revenue, um, one, know how that code works, right? Do a full review of it, but also what's what's the what's the responsibility companies have to also consider sponsoring um, these 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 developers who are building really important projects that they need. And so I think we're we're often thinking about that. We're noticing a lot of companies starting to figure out what's their uh, how are they going to give back to either specific open source maintainers or even open sourcing projects that they've been running internally and haven't even thought that, oh, a lot of other developers could benefit from this. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, make sure that these these projects are seen, make sure they're they're supported, they're secure, you know, all vulnerabilities are are dealt with. I mean, you should just know your dependencies. And and I mean, you should, like you said, you should have the inventory of these and understand how they work. I would say if your developer that that implemented that library, if you as a as a manager can can carve out some time for that developer, give them you know 10, 20% time to go go to the repo for that library, spend time triaging, maybe just clean even if they're not contributing code, like help clean up the docs. Help there's so many things that they could do for that library to make it more usable, more sustainable, as well as you know, give money. I think money is an important one. And the more we support these, at least in the Postman ecosystem, the more we support these, I would say we have a direct line for talent acquisition in some of these. Mm. And I speak from a, a vantage point of I've acquired a couple open source projects and brought them under our circus tent of Postman open technologies. Yeah, And it's because we want to support and, and sustain that open source project, but also because there were some really driven, passionate folks behind those projects that we wanted to actually work with closer. And so I don't think a lot of companies see these projects and I don't think they see them as potential talent acquisition, people who are smart and can come in and help you do things. Not that you should acquire them and bring them internally, but find ways you can work closer with them. I think it's super important. Yeah, it's an interesting battle. It's an interesting tension, right? So some of the best projects we find uh, developers are fiercely independent. 
but they would love and appreciate uh, code contributions. Uh, they would appreciate, um, you know, us recommending their project if we think that it's it's going to be great for users. And so it has been interesting. Some of the the most successful open source partnerships we've had are developers that are super proud uh, of the framework. They know every in and out of a specific framework. Um, let's say, uh, you know, Vue or uh, Angular or something that's like they really care about that. Um, their full-time job is adjacent to that work and or they do either freelance or contract or they, they just, they are monetizing their expertise, being the world expert in payments for a framework. And so often uh, it is a dance of like making sure they feel supported, but also recommending great projects to the, from the community. I know, um, I know another thing that's top of mind I'd love to chat with you about. It is actually Postman related. I know this is not a Postman focused podcast, but just the importance of cutting down tech debt by keeping your API versions and the S the versions of the, these libraries or SDKs you're using up to date. I think that's a, that is the dirty secret of the payments world is folks don't update their stuff out of fear of breaking changes. <laughs> yes, man, you just hit on like you, you hit on, you brought up postman, which we, we you know, this is not a postman show. We don't focus too heavily on, then you managed to say breaking changes too. So you just went. I, I kind of weave that. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, like I talked to, I talked to some, you imagine, right? So uh, as a developer advocate, like as Stripe, I have one of the best jobs in the world. I get to meet all these different startups and companies building incredible products. They're making revenue, right? So we're only working with folks that are uh, charging for a good or service and, uh, you know, rendering some, some value to a customer. And so one, I'm learning a ton about what revenue models work, which ones don't work, which ones have buzz, but actually, uh, you know, for improvement in these understated companies that you've never heard of, they're not on hacker news, but they're making hand over fist revenue because they started off on day one charging for their product, uh, in a, in a reasonable way. And so point is I love the job because I get to meet all these different companies. What's been really interesting though, as I hinted at, it's the biggest brands in the world, right? So I'll talk to their payments lead or the, the head dev who's building or improving their integration. And a lot of them kind of in confidence will tell me, oh my gosh, we haven't, we haven't updated our API version in, in, in five years, in four years. Oh, uh, the previous CTO integrated it. And uh, the ones that are really honest are like, I don't want to be the person that breaks our payment flow. Like we're <laughs> making money. I don't want it to break. And so what I'm realizing is, just generally, I know this is probably not a surprise for you, Ken, but just generally a lot of developers have not developed good hygiene around just regular incremental updating and upgrading of their tech stack uh, so that they don't go years on end not upgrading uh, both their API versions and their the versions of their SDKs. It kind of surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me. That's the state of many big brands you know of. People fear change. Yeah. I mean, change is scary and people fear it. And and like you said, people don't want to be that one to break it. But for me, and I, breaking changes aren't bad. Only time breaking changes are bad is when they're not communicated and not planned for. And and, and I would say Stripe has some amazing uh, approach for managing versioning and communicating versioning. But I mean... Why, why would you say these people, I mean, are they not, 
do they not know about your new versions? Are they not comfortable or confident updating mm -hmm. their code? What's the biggest biggest friction point for them moving forward? I think it depends on the person, right? Uh, on the on the individual, but I know for like some some examples, right? So payments, uh, it is tempting, uh, especially to strive to like you know we're in the news a lot. There's a lot of buzz around a business. It is tempting to forget that we are just one piece of your bigger web stack or your payment stack or your mobile like we we serve one place and there's a lot of other services you probably use to to support your customers uh the reason i say that is because like it is one in a bigger checklist of things the developer has to worry about very often a cto is also on the hook for payments that cto is trying to make sure all the latest builds go out to ios and android stores app stores they want to make sure top priority customers issues are getting uh dealt with and so while we care a lot about api reliability uh, yes, we're proud that an API version from six years ago will still work because we want to make sure nothing breaks in your payment flow, but you're kind of leaving a lot of uh, literal money on the table and you are building up tech debt if you're not incrementally improving your stack, including payments. And so sometimes it's just, oh, someone built that a long time ago. It works. We don't want to break it and we get a lot of other fish to fry. Another one is just a general culture, uh, especially in the startup world, of celebrating ships, right? Celebrating new releases and kind of deprioritizing or de, uh, not celebrating as much, uh, keeping the lights on work and just having a really good testing plan, like uh, testing and upgrading plan. I think it's just, uh, it's often that you're like, ah, we'll deal with that later. Um, I guess the last point I'll make to that is where it's extremely painful <laughs> is while we will keep API versions working as long as humanly possible, uh, you need to opt into upgrades for Stripe, right? So you need to say, I'm ready to use the latest version of the API or on a per API call basis, you can tell us what version of the API you want back from us. Where it gets really challenging is when uh, a country or a suite of countries or some regulatory authorities like, hey, so face ID or thumbprint fingerprint recognition is required starting September <laughs> and it's happening and you got to deal with it. And so that's where uh, it's like when you look for a new job, it's better to look for a new job when you already got a job. Same with API upgrades. It's great to upgrade and have a plan for testing before you're told you have to buy this date update or payments will stop working. And that's the worst case scenario. I think for devs is, Oh my gosh, we haven't touched this uh, in forever. Well, and, and you guys made it, done so much of the work in moving forward with versions and, and reducing the friction for people so that it's, it's, it's not as painful to, to go from, you know, even major to major because you guys have done a lot of the thinking and, and reduce that. And so, I mean, teams ne need to be more agile and nimble when it comes to change and, and addressing change so that they're not caught off guard when these regulatory things come, come into play and, and they have to all of a sudden just jump and, and, and make a change. They need to be like thinking about this in an ongoing way, but getting leadership to approve that and prioritize that. But I like what you touched on as far as you're le literally leaving money on the table. I think that's the message I would leave for leadership to carve out space for their teams to, to invest in, in change and, and evolution is, is, there's all of this new types of payments, new, you know, new ways of making payments, micro payments, mm -hmm. different ways of doing it that your newer APIs are enabling. And if you're not upgrading your version, 
you're literally those things are out of reach and you're not able to remain competitive, stay agile, nimble when it comes to your industry. I think I'll I'll add to that, right? So um it's it's also tempting for companies to just glump clump everything around payments into a set of functions or one area of problems to solve. And the reality is like if you break up payments, right? So your customer onboarding flow, that is something you can upgrade in and of itself by itself. Um, you probably have, you might have a one-time payment and recurring payment offerings. Uh, I know whenever I go into an app in the, in the app store and I look at like all the different in-app purchase options, you kind of often can see a history of all the different payment tiers they've created. Point being like, if you break them all out, it's like any complex project, right? If you break, break them all out and decide what are the things we need to fix now? What are the things can wait? It's less overwhelming than, oh my gosh, we need to fix our payments. And it's like such an amorphous challenge to face. Um, but certainly the, the, the success stories I hear that I love hearing is, okay, we, uh, we needed to upgrade our integration and we actually removed like 10,000 lines of code because we realized we were, you know, manually running a, a recurring billing system and we could just cut it and go with your billing offering. I'm saying this, so this is applicable for any payment gateway, not to just make it about us, but like very often, if you built a thing, if you built some application or or function five years ago there's probably better ways to do it now um and certainly like things are not set in time so like for our own like i was looking up the numbers for this call right so we handle like this year alone like we're handling i think it's about five thousand requests every second for our api um this year alone we've deployed over 3300 uh times and about every uh Every weekday, it's about 13 to 14 um, versions of our API we cut um, uh, a day, like wow. each weekday. And so the point is, is like, imagine six years of that. And yes, it's going to work. It's going to function. But oh my gosh, like become an expert in payments. So you, you make sure every single drop of what your customer wants is available for them and also for your setup. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I you guys have embraced change. I think that's, one of in the people I'm interviewing for the show, the 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 companies that are are leading the API conversation are releasing often, and and they have processes in place to to allow for that to to deliver more reliable APIs, and then support. You know, I think the not just the producer needs, but supporting the consumers is is a super critical part of this. And so, when you're the front line for that. What do you look for when you're hiring team members or bringing people onto your team to kind of support this perpetual march forward of the Stripe API? So for sure, we're looking for developers who really, really, really care. So I think that first and foremost is uh, when it comes to uh, long-term health and upgrade of your APIs, when it comes to our developer tooling, like making sure developers like are are feeling, uh, you know, like all things developer relations, right? Where it's not only getting news out from the company to the community, but it's also, I think one of the most important things is driving empathy for developers uh, from the community internally, right? And so I love my relationship with our product teams, right? Our product teams, they really care uh, about developer feedback. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have uh, a champions program uh, where we definitely take our, our most ardent, most avid, developers and they have a direct relationship with our product teams right and i think uh 
you'd be surprised how much on Twitter, you know, like our, our engineers, our PMs are, are answering or asking questions. And so I guess developer feedback is super important for us and another uh, for new candidates and also folks that join our team. Uh, we really cherish this thing called the friction log, right? So we're really, uh, we try to dog food as much as possible. And I'm talking every team, product, engineering, marketing, support. And what that means is just opening up a new doc. And if we've released a new feature or existing features or trying to use two or more of our products altogether, just like writing out the experience of getting up and running with it, what worked, what didn't, what could be better. And that's definitely like a f- internal form of currency, right? So um, the folks that are just genuinely curious, they're down to try out uh, new products we're releasing, even if they're not on that team. It goes a long way because I really appreciate when we've released something, right? So we just released our new Postman collection. We just released, uh, my team built and released the the new React Native SDK. Um, I really appreciate when folks internally, but also externally, you know, help keep me honest, make sure that it's working great. Uh, and I can't tackle all the bugs. And so feedback is definitely feedback is a gift. Um, I'll make one other plug. Um, I've been getting super hooked on this. Uh, there's a community site called, um, and it's also a series of books too. It's called, uh, APIs. You, you won't hate.com. And so yeah, there's a Phil, book, Phil Sturgeon's. Yeah. One. Phil, Mike Bufulco, um, uh, yeah, Matt, Mike, and Phil. Um, but that book, Surviving yeah. Other People's APIs, I, I, I absolutely have been loving uh, the content and in uh, the podcast. Not to not to plug another podcast, but there is a finite amount of us who care deeply about API, both resiliency, functionality, the long term health of a, of an API. And um, I wish we were in a pandemic so we could all just get together and chat. But for sure, I'm we're trying to learn a ton from lessons learned from other companies uh, in, in API platforms. Yeah, those those lessons. I mean, I've I've been on on the podcast and 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 big fans of what the the, the energy they put out over there because they're very human and community oriented and and about doing this well and reducing the pain and friction. And then Phil's whole environmental uh yes. You know, and and bike riding and just yes. other. It, I love it. It adds a whole nother. It's a it's 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 a good vibe. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say the empathy piece I think is is the most critical piece. I mean, that's the next generation developer. I would say is, you know, the the old days when I you would hire developers and they weren't they were antisocial and you kept them in the basement and slid pizza under the door. <laughs> Those days seem to be gone. You know, we don't. We don't want those types of, of, of anti-social developers. We need you to actually be interested, have passion, have kind of fire under your imagination when it comes to this and want to be playing with things and understanding things. And uh, I think it's it's a pretty, I think that's why that back to the talent acquisition that I mentioned in the ecosystem. I mean, these these externally, these are the developers that that shine and show up on mm-hmm. on our radar. They become postman supernovas, as we call them, oh, yeah. and and they're people we end up hiring. You know, we end up and we end up investing in if they're doing open source. And so, I think message out there for anybody listening is if you know, if just do what you do, be passionate about it. You know, and and demonstrate why what you're doing and what you're interested in matters. And people will take notice in the ecosystem. But I think API providers, uh, you know, if you have a team that empathizes with your community and empathizes 
uh, with, you know, your, your the, the challenges your customers face, it's just going to go so much further and, and have such more, more impact. Um, you guys are, how, how do you guys look around the world? I mean, you guys, you mentioned you, you're hot, you hire a lot around the globe or your team is pretty geographically dispersed around, around the world these days. Yeah. Yes. Uh, especially, uh, I mean, we've always been pretty spread out. We've, we've had regional offices, but as of, I think as of this year, we're at least in, uh, we're in over 50 cities worldwide. Um, and so we can hire in many different countries. Um, I think at least 25% of our engineers are remote. That's about three times more than before the pandemic. Um, yeah. I think, I think one thing that is really important for us is building the best payments experience requires developers and requires your en engineers to be in region. And so it's so often that as a Western based, uh, Western hemisphere based developer, we all think the world revolves around cards. I know I mentioned that earlier, but it's, it's only until you're actually watching how you do uh, payments or remittances in Japan, or you watch how uh, in Mexico you go up to an OXO gas station and you literally can do your payment flow for larger purchases. Uh, until you see those that that back and forth payment, uh, that whole payment flow, you realize like, oh my gosh, the rest of the world is actually way ahead of us. We still are focused on this piece of plastic, but the rest of the world is using their super expensive mobile phone to do biometric face ID, and then you start thinking like the risk gets shifted. If so I could geek out forever, like, but basically like the biggest thing is if you use a plastic card, it takes, uh, there's a couple of weeks you got to wait to make sure it clears, right? Or a couple of days at least to make sure it clears. The rest of the world is on really advanced payment methods where the payments can sometimes be instant for the merchant because it's an authenticated payment where the customer is known um, and it's reducing your fraud risk and, and I think that's a uh, we're really focused on uh, our engineers being in region, but also supporting our payment methods. Um, I think right now it's like we we're available to at least over forty four countries, but I'm pretty sure we can accept uh, car payments from customers in across like one hundred and ninety five countries. So it's we're trying to be everywhere uh, uh, where someone's trying to trying to get payments done. Well, I'm guessing this it, the people not upgrading their their apps and their API version feeds into some of the what you just said as far as you know leaving money on the table they're not able to enable smartphone payments and and that's why things are so slow here is because we're so risk adverse and or the the leadership just doesn't see the the business value of of investing and making the switch to a more of you know full digital world but i think I think that's what everyone's being faced with right now, or at least what we're seeing is, you know, the, the API reality is catching up to every company in every industry, and they're going to have to start paying attention to it. Um, I'm hoping COVID's kind of going to speed this up because the need for more um, contactless payments, more digital uh, delivery, all different types of things are going to speed that up. How's COVID shifted the way you guys are seeing things and working? Has it changed how your team you guys were remote somewhat before but has it changed you how you guys operate for sure I, I think one of the it has definitely changed how we operate i know at least for my team right so we're our developer advocate team advocacy team we're spread across over eight time zones and so 
really putting an emphasis on asynchronous moments of connection, right? So we have folks uh, across Asia, across, um, you know, um, North America, South America, Europe. Um, we have a lot of developers in the community that are everywhere from Johannesburg to um, Australia, all over. And so all the reason I'm saying that is like trying to get points across uh, while you cannot get everyone in the room at the same time, it's challenging. And then also building trust both with external developers, but your own team is challenging, right? And so you can imagine we've been heavily using, I know there's a, you know, whatever chat platform you use, a lot of them are starting to release things like um, asynchronous video clips, which is a mixture of, uh, you know, screen sharing video. We do a lot with just like video, right? So um, not just Zoom calls, but actual Hey, I wanted to show you this, have a look at this. So I know if you use Slack, it's Slack clips. I know some other teams use like an apps like Marco Polo or any type of video type app uh, to build. You kind of over time build trust and connection by uh, seeing each other, but also working through stuff. I know some of my closest friends um, from my old days at early Evernote and from Roku and all these places I've been at, it's the folks that we kind of went through some tough challenges and we we worked out, we worked stuff we built stuff together um, through adversity uh, for on behalf of the developers. Like that requires a lot of connection and communication, um, and uh, it's it's hard to do if you're only doing text chat only. Uh, so that's one. I think um, the other one is we're trying to be very flexible about meeting times, and so either we split up, you know, um, EMEA versus uh, Southeast Asia versus the U.S. We are trying to like when we have meetings and we all can't be there, like writing up the top points putting them in our channels. Um, and now, I mean, gosh, we have product teams. We have teams leading different aspects of our product in all our different hubs, right? So we have two co-hubs, right? Got the Dublin office, like the San Francisco office. Um, but then also we got folks uh, all across uh, Europe. We got the payment method teams. I mean, they're in all the different regions because they have to build that product in region. And so um, I make sure like I cut out, you know, I, I do, I do my solid work. I make sure like I do turn notifications off and I do emphasize like I'm flexible with my time, but really as the more we can do a synchronous, um, the better. Um, but yes, post COVID, I cannot wait to actually meet more team members and, uh, I miss, I miss it so much. Yeah. I miss the in-person, the, those relationships that, that were built over the last decade and your old dog been in the space doing this for a while. So I know, um, that, that in-person conference meetups, um, and just the, the restaurant, the food, the drinks, all that, that surrounds all of that people coming together. So what else are you doing to not burn out? Cause that sounds like a lot. So what else do you do just personally drag? What do you, what do you do to keep yourself passionate? and and motivated after so long in the industry um i'm trying to learn a couple of things right so i'm definitely i've gotten i've really fallen down the rabbit hole of uh video streaming and and just really getting the whole team like thinking about like video first right and so um as you mentioned right i've been doing dev relations for i think uh it was about 10 years ago i became a developer advocate uh at evernote um moved to california from boston started getting there and one thing that um, has been eye-opening is just the importance of video. And I really did not understand how important YouTube is as like the second most popular search engine on earth. And so 
uh, whether it's the weekend and I'm not working at all, right? Like just trying to fix something on my car or do something with my kids. Like I'm trying to use YouTube like a ton more, you know, like as a way of visually learning different concepts, whether it's coding, whether it's something around the house, um, whether it's I'm trying to improve a skill or public speaking. And so um, that's one um, is just like watching more videos than just recorded, you know, series and TV stuff. Um, I think the other one is just trying to, um, I try very often to get lunch or coffees, COVID safe, obviously, but um, there is tons of, I, I live in Austin, Texas now. So I moved from San Francisco to Austin, uh, you know, <laughs> the exodus along with a, a ton of other mm -hmm. folks. And there is just a ton of developers based in Austin building great products. And I am trying to get out and get coffee. I get so inspired when I hear developer stories about payments and what they're trying to build or the frameworks are looking. So um, I am uh, just kind of using the local, the local city as a way to um, get inspired uh, for sure. Yeah. And I think um, it's trying to cut off on the weekends, right? Like just trying yeah. to, um, remind myself like it's all going to be here tomorrow and yes. um half the time the emergencies are because of a lack of planning so we're really trying to plan out month to month what's the thing i have to get done or the team has to get done um and really focusing on that i think every single day i, I do the pareto principle right like 20 percent of the outcome for 80 percent of the results um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just like staying focused is uh yeah, my time is not my own anymore. You know, so trying to trying to work on all those to not get burned out. Yeah, and we are so so much our own worst enemies, and, and yes. everything you just said. Not taking away the weekend, not planning process, you know, properly. Um, all good advice, definitely. Um, well, I look forward to uh, when the world comes somewhat gets back to normal, and I can come to Austin again. I. I love Austin. I love uh, walking around town, downtown, down there, and not just for the big events. Just coming and just hanging out. Um, there's a great vibe down there. So a little bit jealous. Um, I'm in in the Bay Area, so still loving, still holding down the fort while you you all all you just <laughs> you know left town. Um, <laughs> I mean, technically, I moved in 2016. I joined this tiny YC startup, uh, and we all moved out to uh, Austin. But um, so I guess I'm like an old timer Austin now, but one of my favorite things is so random, but for developer meetups is we have a ton San Francisco has them too, but uh, we have a ton of these like half coffee shop, half bars. And so what I yeah. like is like meeting up with developers and there's no pressure to drink. Like I yeah. just want to like have a cup of coffee because very often, you know, back in the day with, with developer oh, relations yeah. events, there's, there's kind of this like pressure uh, when you're at some evening event. And so I've just been loving like, <laughs> I'll get a decaf coffee um, and then I'm not a wreck afterwards in terms of feeling full. Yeah. And I'm also like in focus on the conversation. And so I kind of love these, like I'm, I'm really geeking out on these half, uh, uh, yeah, half coffee shop, half, uh, half bar situations um, for the rest of us. Um, well, I think that's an important life hack as we get older. That's a yes. good old timer rule. Tell some water with the line, can, please. <laughs> yes. I mean, I can point out in 2014, 2016, yeah. where I burnt out pretty heavily. And it was pretty much due to me drinking beer, you know, and and so that's good advice. I think the, the one other thing I'll add, I, I know that's not the, the focus for this for this session, but like in terms of dev relations and dev advocacy, I know I've written a little bit about it. I wrote this post on the, the golden age of developer advocacy. One thing, if we compare life pre-COVID as a developer advocate to now is in the past, 
just want to talk about video first. In the past, I'd give it, you know, I'd speak at Twilio Signal or I'd speak at some event, and maybe there's a couple thousand folks in the room. I hope to God maybe 500 people are interested. I really hope that evening or the next day they actually try out the code or the, the sample I've talked about. Now that everything's video first, even if we are at an in-person thing and we're recording and cutting it for our channel, like it's just wild like the amount of metrics developer advocacy teams have at their disposal that we didn't have before. Yeah. And so I know like when one of our advocates or myself presents on a topic, I know how many folks dropped off, how many folks were interested. And then it also lets us know like, okay, what next batch of content should we make? I just have all this data I never had. And so I do one, uh, you know, COVID has been miserable for many reasons, but one upside in our field is just how much we can improve our offering to the community because we just have a whole suite of data we never had before uh, when we were um, only, you know, flying around to events and stuff. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's been pretty wild. Yeah, I feel more effective too. So I agree, Um, but we'll see. We'll see what the the future the future holds. Um, with that said, we just rolled over an hour, and I almost oh didn't notice uh, <laughs> because we, I could just keep talking with you all day. Um, so, with that said, I, I should we should probably let folks go. Um, I appreciate you joining me today, Chris. This has been great. Um, look forward to many more conversations. We're planning season two, and so I'll be pinging you about what what maybe we could talk about next season. I love it. Ken, thanks you, thank you so much for having me and I'm um, a huge fan of the show. Much appreciated. All right. Well, thank you and enjoy the rest of your week and uh, we'll be talking soon. Thanks, you too. <laughs>